Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. When you encounter trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That's the scripture that I would like to focus on tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to James chapter 1. I just wanted to start by, I brought some of my uh, mother and father-in-law's books tonight. This is my favorite book that my father-in-law has ever written. Uh, many of you have asked me about how I study the Bible, what that looks like, how, how can I make it simple. Uh, you know, you, you might say that you open up the Bible and, and you don't know where to study or how to even begin to study. This book is a step-by-step almost instruction manual, uh, just taking you through what it looks like, questions to ask the text. It's a fabulous uh, little book, and uh, it, it, I'm not sure what it normally sells for, but we're going to offer it to you tonight for $10 a piece, and that does go back into their ministry, but it truly is. I brought it because so many people ask uh, about studying the Word of God, and so I wanted you to be able to, uh, to learn firsthand by somebody who really knows um, before we begin talking about trials, uh, we have to establish some truths tonight. Truths that need to get deep down inside of us. Truths that are vital. Before we can encounter trials and deal with them the way James suggests, we have to really establish some facts, some truth in our mind. Truth that, will not, uh, that, that, that we will not be moved by. And when a trial comes, we'll be able to uh, say, this is the truth. No matter what I'm experiencing, this is the truth of God's word. This is what I know to be true, regardless of what I'm facing right now. And so it's so important. That's another reason it's so important that we know and memorize the word of God. We get it inside of us. But I just want to ask you, do you know that you are safe tonight with Jesus? If he is your Lord and Savior, you are safe with him. He has hemmed you in behind and before, and he has laid his hand upon you. He is Emmanuel, the God who's with you, the one who will never leave you. He'll never forsake you, and he will not relax his hold on you. He has you. Even when you don't think you can hang on to him, he is hanging on to you. There is no safer place than in his presence. There is absolutely nothing that you or I could ever do to separate us from his love. His love for you, his love for me is unfailing. It's unconditional. We don't have to be good enough for it. We don't have to perform for it. It is ours by faith. given to us by grace. He has promised to watch over us, to protect us, to defend us, to advocate for us. He says that he will make even our enemies live at peace with us. He is our rock and our refuge. He's our very present help in times of trouble. He promises to be a shield about us, and he says that he will deliver us, not from some trouble, but from all our troubles. No matter what happens in our life, no matter how painful our circumstances or trial may be, no matter if we're dealing with sickness, 
disease, despair, whether he heals you here, later, or in eternity, whether or not your problem is ever fixed or your situation is ever rectified, God has not fallen asleep on the job. He's not turning a deaf ear to your prayer. He is with you like a mighty warrior. And he wants to fight your battles for you. There is no safer place than in his presence. And when you encounter a trial, maybe you're in one right now. The reason we can consider it pure joy is that we, have, we understand that we have a God who is mighty to save. A God who delivers. A God who sets free. A God who heals. A God who will never, ever leave us. If you know Jesus, there is no safer place than with him. Because when we dwell in the shelter of the Most High God, we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will be our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we can trust. He will absolutely, positively, surely, no doubt about it, save us from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover us with his feathers and under his wings we will find refuge. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, he is a faithful God. His faithfulness will be our shield and our rampart. We don't have to fear the terror of night. Some of you are here and you're fearful. You don't have to fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you if you make the Most High your dwelling place. Because we love Him. He will rescue us. He will protect us because we acknowledge his name. When we call upon him, he will answer us. He will be with us in trouble. He will deliver us and honor us. And with long life, he will satisfy us and show us his salvation, his deliverance. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight. That is truth. It's truth. That's all directly out of his word. And whether you believe it or not, it's a promise. It's God's promise to you and to me. We can embrace it and live it out, or we can question it and stay pitiful and powerless in the midst of it. But the reality is, no matter what comes our way, no matter how difficult it is, there is nothing that's happened in our life that takes God by surprise. There's nothing that interrupts his plan for us. We are safe with him. And we need to settle that fact in our minds. We need to remind ourselves of it often. When trials and tribulations threaten to overwhelm us, we need to rest in the fact that he is more than enough. And he will bring us through. And not just bring us through, he will bring us through triumphantly and with great victory, peace, and power. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. But would you just pray with me first? Father, I do believe that you are with us like a mighty warrior. I believe that you fight every battle for us. That you clear the path before us. That you come with us and you follow after us. That you are a mighty God. And that absolutely nothing is impossible for you, Lord. And Father, I'm aware that there are people here tonight that are in trials, that are in tribulations, that are having a hard time. Lord, people that might be depressed or in despair, people that are sick, people that, that, that are experiencing financial troubles. Lord, I, I know that in a room this size, there are plenty of people right smack in the middle of a trial. 
But I thank you, Lord, that you're with them in the midst of it. And now I ask, Father God, that you would just help me to clearly and effectively expound your word tonight. I pray, Lord God, that you would give me the words to say, and I would say only what you tell me to say. Lord, bring things back to memory, things that I've studied. Lord, would you just drop them back in my mind? I thank you that I have the mind of Christ. I pray that I'd function from that place tonight. Lord God, I pray that my message would not be with wise or persuasive words, but Father, that they would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power, that your word would penetrate penetrate hearts and minds tonight, and that you indeed would set captives free tonight, that you would silence the lies of the enemy, and Lord God, that you would be magnified and glorified in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who were not with us last week, uh, this is week two in a series based on the book of James. Uh, our teachings will stand alone each week, so if you miss a week, you're, n- you're not going to be behind. Uh, but having said that, I just want to review for a moment what we talked about last week. The, the book of James is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And we know from the Word of God that he did not believe that his brother was the Messiah, was the Son of God initially. But but his life became radically transformed after Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. That'll do it, won't it? You watch your brother be crucified, die a painful death. You watch him be buried, and three days later he appears to you. I'm pretty sure you'd be convinced that he was indeed the Son of God. And and so James' life got radically changed. And he, uh, this book is one that he he was writing. And when he wrote it, he wrote it to the twelve tribes that were scattered among the nations. He refers to them as brethren at least 15 times in this book. And that tells me that he was writing to believers, people like you and me. We talked last week about how James wasn't interested in theoretical knowledge. In fact, some scholars believe that James is the most, uh, next to Philemon, is the least theological book in the Bible. Because James is far more concerned with the way believers are living He's he's more concerned how we live out what we say we believe. John, uh, John MacArthur says that James wrote with a passionate desire for his readers to be uncompromisingly obedient to the Word of God. James wants us to not just read the Word of God. He doesn't want us just to quote the Word of God. He wants us to begin to live the Word of God, to live it out loud. And you'll see, he takes us step by step through practical application so that we can begin to do that and we can begin to be that city on the hill, that we can begin to be a light in a dark place and people will look at us and see something different. As we explore the book of James, we're going to learn how to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk and live out day to day what we profess we believe. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Jeff read the the whole passage to verse 8. That's what we're really going to focus on the next couple weeks. But I just want to look specifically at verses 2 and 3. I don't know about you, but there's nothing I hate more than to be in pain and full of heartache and have somebody come alongside of me and super spiritualize it and, and, and try to encourage me and show me the positive side of what I'm going through. 
people, you know, the kind that'll say, God's going to use this. And it's the last thing that you want to hear when you're going through a trial. Does that irritate anybody besides me? It just irritates me. And, and, you know, let me have my pity party of one. Let me sulk a bit. Let me coddle my pain. Let me feel sorry for myself and pout, but don't try to encourage me in my pain. It's not something you want to hear in the midst of a difficult time. But the reality is, it's truth. No matter what you're going through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it might seem, I promise you that if you get your eyes focused on God, He will turn that thing around and use it for your good and His glory. He will do it every time because He is the Redeemer of all things. Not some things. He's the Redeemer of all things. And James is going to show us here that every trial we go through, we can embrace it. We can, we can consider it pure joy because it is forming something in us that can't be formed any other way. I don't know about you, but every trial, I've been through, anybody besides me been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff, more than, than, I, than I can even begin to tell you. If I told you everything I've encountered in my life, your mouth would, would drop open. I've been through some pain. But I will tell you that every ounce of pain that I've ever been through, every trial, every tribulation I've ever encountered, I promise you that God has turned it around and he's used it for his good. People say to me, Rhea, if you could go back and change your life, would you do it? And my response to that is, if I had to give up everything I learned about Jesus coming through it, not, not for a moment would I think about giving it up. Because like it or not, so much of what we encounter in the fiery furnace, it gets burned into us. I don't just know about Jesus because I studied him. I learned in the midst of a trial about Jesus because I've had to live it and find out that it works and that it's true. And that's what James is telling us. He's saying, consider it pure joy. When you encounter trials of many kinds, I want you to know it's of many kinds. Uh, one of the, the, I think is the King James says a manifold uh, trial, manifold trials. And, uh, you know, the word there is variegated. Uh, anybody know you have a variegated flower, maybe, what, is, what are they called, those hostas? Uh, a variegated hosta. It has lots of different colors in it. And, and variegated means an assortment. And, and so if you're sitting here tonight and you say, well, Rhea, <laughs> you might have had this trial but let me tell you about mine. My, mine is so much bigger. You couldn't even begin to touch mine. And it, because they're variegated. They're, they're, they, James is covering the whole, the whole gamut. He's saying no matter what your trial is, if it's big, if it's small, if it's painful, if it's, if it's excruciating, it, you know, your trial, what you're going through and you think is the end of the world, for me, I might look at that and say, that's nothing. It's a piece of cake. But the thing I'm going through and I'm facing, you might look at and say, poor Rhea, come on, get yourself together. Because it's a manifold trial. It's, it, it's variegated. It's, it is it's various trials that we're all going through. And he's covering the whole gamut because he doesn't want you to have the one trial that you say, this is the exception, James. I can't even consider it pure joy. This is the one that that doesn't work for. Nope, he's covering them all. Consider it pure joy, my brethren. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's talking to us as Christians. He's saying when you go through a trial, when you go through a hard time, when you go through a difficult situation, I want you to consider it pure joy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, James? 
And that's what the people he was writing to probably thought. Remember, he was writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered among the nations. Why were they scattered? Does anybody know? We talked about this last week. Persecution. These were people who were being persecuted. In fact, uh, there's another, I think Peter talks about the fiery trials that we encounter. And and commentators believe this was during the time of Nero. And Nero, if you will recall, burned Christians at the stake. Can you imagine? Burned them alive at the stake. And so when, when Peter talks about fiery trials and James talks about trials to people who have been scattered because of persecution, it was a real issue. It wasn't like us, somebody looked at me wrong and they hurt my feelings. This was major persecution going on in their life, and they were scattered because of it. And now James is writing them a letter. Can you imagine getting this letter and reading it? You're persecuted, you've been scattered, you've lost your home, you've probably lost just about everything that mattered to you, and and James is telling you to consider it pure joy. Can you imagine what they thought? So he said, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds. That word, uh, consider, it, it, it's really an interesting word. Uh, it, it means to count. And, and, and listen, if you miss everything else that I say tonight, don't miss this part. In the original language, it means to tally up the facts and base your response on those facts and not make a subjective judgment based on your feelings. Count it all joy. In other words, I know that you're emotional right now. I know this is painful right now. I know that you're hurting right now. I know that you're ticked off right now and you want to lose your temper, but I'm telling you to stop. And I want you to count it all joy. I want you to tally up the facts, what you know about God, what you know about this situation, and I want you to objectively look at it, not subjectively through your, through your emotions and through your feelings. So often we are led by our emotions, by our feelings. That word count there, it also means to lead. I really like that. Because we have to make a decision. What is going to lead us? Are we going to be led by our emotions or are we going to be led by the Spirit? Are we going to be led by the fact that we know God loves us, that we know he's with us, that we know he is mighty to save, that we know he is our deliverer, that we know that absolutely nothing is impossible for him, and that he holds us in the palm of his hand? Or are we going to be led by our emotions that says, oh, this hurts so bad, and they they talked about me, or they looked at me wrong, or or, or my husband hurt me? Uh, What are we going to be led by? And so he says count. That word count there also means to lead. And it's a picture, get this, of, that's leading one's mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. I like that. It involves careful thought, not a quick decision. When we're led by our, our feelings, our emotions, they're quick, aren't they? I have this, it's going wrong, and I'm gonna, my, my emotions rise up and we are led by them. That's a quick response. He's saying, tally the facts. Revisit what you know about God, and then make an objective decision to consider it all joy. It's a mathematical term, which means to think about it and come to a conclusion. But I really like this. Edmund Hilbert says it's a verb of thought rather than emotion. 
James is not commanding how one should feel, but how one should think. He's not saying ignore your, your, your feelings. He's not saying it's not going to hurt, just pretend it doesn't. He's not saying slap a smile on your face and just, you know, put on your big boy pants and, and grow up. He's, he's not saying that at all. It has nothing to do with, with those emotions not still, still being there. It has nothing to do with you still not being angry over the situation, but it has everything to do with what's leading you and guiding your life. And it's not going to be anger. And it's not going to be depression and despair and hopelessness. It's not going to be self-pity and woe is me. It's not going to be whatever the emotion is that's leading you. Because you're going to objectively consider, count, what you know about God. That he is with you. Do you know how mighty your God is? See, we've gotten our eyes on the issue, on the thing in front of us, on the situation we are in. Some of you are living at a home with difficult situations. I am not trying to minimize it. I am telling you what James says. Look at that thing objectively. Revisit what you know about God and count that thing all joy because God is going to use it. He's going to use what the enemy meant for evil and he's going to turn that thing around and use it for glory. If you really, do you really believe that? Do you believe it? It's interesting to me that this word consider or count is a command. Oh, that's so good. It's a command. I think we've gotten to a point where we discount God's word and we, we've lost sight that some of his word is a command. That means do it whether you feel like it or not. It's a command. And this word consider is a command. And I think it's interesting because that's the last thing that we want to do when we're in a trial. We don't want to count it joy, trust me. And so we're commanded to tally up the facts and look at that thing objectively. We're commanded to not be influenced by our feelings. Warren Wiersbe, and I like this quote, he says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, our trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. The Word of God says we need to direct our eyes to things above. To things above. Get our eyes off this world. Get our eyes off these situations. God, what are you cultivating in me? What are you using this? What are you going to potter? He is the potter, and he's using our situations to potter us into and form us into what he wants us to be. Again, count it all joy doesn't deny the emotional pain. It just chooses not to let it dominate and render us powerless in the midst of the trial. Uh, if, if, if it were denying our emotions or our feelings and putting on a, a happy face and pretending like it doesn't really hurt, then Jesus certainly would not have been sweating uh, drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus certainly would have reprimanded Mary and Martha, Mary, for crying about her brother. Jesus certainly wouldn't have wept himself if he was trying to tell us to deny our emotions. He's just saying, don't deny them, just don't let them guide you. Don't let them lead you down the wrong path. Count up the facts, tally what you know about the Word of God, and live it, and live it. Have a confident understanding that God is allowing that pain for a purpose. 
And he promises that those who sow in tears, oh, this one's important to me, that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed? We've got to train our minds. We've talked about this a million times, but I want to revisit again tonight because those, those emotions, those feelings are our mind. That's our soul. Remember, I talked to you that, that, that we have a body. We are a three-part being. God is a, tri, a triune God. We are a tripart being, three parts. We're made in his image. We're made in his likeness. And so we have a body. And in our body, we have a soul, a mind, will, emotions, it's our feeler, our thinker, our chooser. It's our passions, our desires. And then we have a spirit as well. When we relate to God, we relate to him spirit to spirit. That's why there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's why you can go do something funky. You can go, do, you can go sin. <laughs> and you can still come boldly into God's presence because you come a spirit man to spirit. And the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's already accomplished. We can't change it. It's done. It's sealed. The deposit has been made. But the trick for us is to learn to not be motivated, to not be led but by the soul, by the mind, the will, the emotions, and to be led instead by the spirit man. Those who walk according to the spirit, what's going to happen? They're going to find life. And those who walk according to the flesh or the soul, it's going to be death. So the choices we make are important, and we have got to learn to mind our mind, and we've got to train our minds to be intentional about what they think on. You say, well, Rhea, you go over this all the time. I'm going to keep going over it, because I'm going to tell you that is the secret. I believe it's the secret to a victorious life, is to renew our minds constantly. It is not reborn. Our minds have not been reborn. With the new man is our, is our spirit man. But we have got to retrain this. The Bible says it'll be transformed. We will be transformed when we start renewing our minds with the truth of the word of God. And so when we encounter a trial, a painful time, when we want to go off on somebody... Well, when we want to have a thing or two to say to that person, when we want to, to, to slap back, when we want to hurt back, when, when we just think, Lord, I can't take this anymore. Where are you? My mother-in-law says, Lord, are you standing in the corner with your hands in your pockets? And have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God was standing in the corner with his hands in his pockets and he wasn't in any big hurry to help you out? And in that point, we've got to keep our minds renewed. We can't go by what we're feeling. Lord, I'm feeling like you don't love me. I'm feeling like you're not with me. I'm feeling like I'm not your favorite. I'm feeling like you don't have this. You're not led by feelings. You're led by faith. And faith says, you're with me like a mighty warrior. Faith says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but that's my inheritance in the saints, and that you're going to refute every tongue that accuses me, Lord. Faith says, you make my enemies, even my enemies, live at peace with me. Faith says that you're going to turn this thing around, that the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Faith says, you're my shepherd and I shall not be in one. Faith says that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Faith says that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. I don't care what this doctor's report says. That's feelings. That's, that's going by my emotions and I am led by what I know by faith. Faith is the evidence of what? Come on, you know the scripture. What is it? I can't hear you. Talk less. 
things hoped for, the substance of what I, what I haven't seen yet. It wouldn't be faith if we could see it, if we could figure it out, if we had all the details put together, if it all was, was fleshing out in front of us, it wouldn't require faith, would it? But faith says, I'm looking at that thing and it looks impossible. <laughs> Absolutely impossible. But faith says, doesn't matter if that looks impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Do you see the difference? We've got to talk faith to that situation. We confess with our mouth. Mouth holds the power of life and death. We've got to be intentional about what we're thinking on. We've got to be intentional to choose joy instead of anger. We've got to be intentional to choose joy instead of self-pity. We've got to be intentional about choosing joy instead of despair, instead of hopelessness, instead of sadness, instead of fear. We have an option. We can choose what we think on. We have the ability. We have the power to do that. We get to choose the lens from which we view life. I got a new pair of glasses, and uh, my father-in-law picked them up for me today. I had a really stressful day at work, and I was really overwhelmed, and I needed my glasses, and he agreed to go pick them up for me. And so he went to get them, and he brought them back to the office, and I had my old glasses on. And, and I argued with the, the eye doctor when he checked my eyes, and I was like, I don't think I need new glasses. I can see just fine with these. And, and he said, Rhea, trust me, you need new glasses. And, 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 you know, I only use them for reading, I, and I can see you, no problem at all. So I don't wear them all the time, but, but, but I needed new glasses to, to read. And, and so um, Stuart came back, and he brought me the glasses, and I took the ones off that I was wearing, my old ones, and I put on these new ones thinking I just wasted all this money buying new glasses. And I went, whoa! And everything was just sharp and clear, and, and I had no idea. My eyes were that bad, but now they're good. Can I just tell you? And, and, but I had no idea. They felt like they were okay. You see, it just progressed a little bit over time, and it just became normal for me. This is the way I see. It must be good. I have glasses on. It must be good. But you see, when I got a new lens that I was looking through, everything came clear again. Everything became clear again. And I can choose. I can go back to my old glasses, and I can put them on, and I can go back to see. Uh, blurry is what it was. I didn't realize it, but it was blurry. I wasn't seeing things clearly. And guess what? You and I get, get a choice which lens we look through. You can look through the lens you've always looked through, and, and it can blur your situation, and you can begin to say, God isn't with me. God doesn't love me. God isn't faithful, because isn't that what we do in the midst of trials? Or you can put on your new lenses and say, here's what I know about God. He is faithful even when I am faithless. That he is a good, good father. That he's my prince of peace. I don't have to be full of despair and hopelessness. I can receive his peace right now in the name of Jesus. That he gives me exceedingly abundant joy in the midst of heartache and suffering. And that when I am afraid, I can put my trust in him. And that when I don't know what to do, my eyes can be fixed on him. And he will lead and he will guide and he will direct my path. Do you believe that? Your life belongs to him. And so often when we go uh, and look at our situations, when we encounter trials, when we go through hard times, we look at it through our soul's eyes. That's why Proverbs tells us, don't lean on your own understanding. 
But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Don't lean on your own understanding. Can I tell you that God's ways are not our ways? He's so much, he's so much smarter. His ways are not our ways. Don't, don't live in your knower. Live in your heart of faith. Because his ways aren't ours. You cannot lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your will, your emotion. Trust. That's what faith is. It's, it is, um, Leslie, what is your little definition of faith? Total trust. It's total trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in Susie sitting next to you. Don't trust in, 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 in what your spouse is doing or isn't doing. Don't trust even in your bank account. Don't trust in, uh, go to the doctor. Yes, please go to the doctor. Don't hear me say that, but I'm telling you, I, when you put a doctor's report in front of me, I'm going to trust still in what the Lord says. We've got to become a people of faith. We can't just talk the talk. We've got to learn to walk the walk. And that is the difference between defeat and victory. I just have to tell you that I'm really tired of seeing Christians, seeing us walk in defeat. Defeat instead of victory. He says you are more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. He says he leads us in triumph. <laughs> Why are we living in defeat? We don't fight for victory. It's already accomplished for us. We fight from the place of victory. But we've got to learn to start governing our minds, governing our feelings, governing our emotions, and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, believing his word above all else. Bypass our minds. Bypass our thoughts and our emotions. And stand confidently on his word. Jonathan Edwards called our thoughts and ideas invisible powers that constantly govern men. <laughs> Are your emotions governing you? Are your feelings governing you? Somebody did something to me today, and normally I would have um, had a thing or two to say about it. Trust me, I still want it to. But I decided that my knower, my feeler, <laughs> my emotions were not going to govern. I started to. And then I stopped and said, no, I have a choice here. I have a choice. I don't have to respond that way. I have a choice which lens I look at this through. And I'm saying, well, you know what? I'm going to just take one. For, I'm going to take one for the team there, and I'm going to consider it all joy. <laughs> Because God, you are forming something in me. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut right now, Lord, because you are forming something in me. And you're going to use this awful thing, this painful thing, this thing that I never want to go through again in my whole entire life. You are going to use it for your glory, Lord. Somehow, some way, because you are the redeemer of all things. You do not waste the pain. You don't waste the pain. You don't waste a thing, Lord. So I'm going to count it all joy. That word joy doesn't just mean gladness. It doesn't just mean an occasion for joy. It means a calm delight. I like that. 
As I maneuver through trials and tribulations, I can have a calm delight knowing that God is bringing me through it triumphantly, that, that he is forming something in me that can't be formed any other way, and that something of great value and great worth is coming out of this thing, and I just can't even wait to see it. Do you know how you, you purify gold? Gold in its, in its uh, you know, uh, most polluted form is really not worth a whole lot. Do you, do you know when it really gets valuable? When you put it in the fire and you turn up the fire as hot as it can possibly get. And then what happens is that gold becomes softened and, and the, the, the dross or the impurities will come to the top of the gold. And then the goldsmith will skim off the impurities and he'll turn up the flame even higher. And the hotter that flame gets, the more impurities that will come to the top. And, and he keeps skimming off the dross and skimming off the impurities. And do you know when he stops? He takes that thing out of the fire when he can see his reflection in the gold. Do you know that you and I are being purified by fire? The fiery trials that we are living in are purifying us. It's skimming off the dross. I'll tell you, nothing brings out the dross in me more than a trial. I don't know about you. I see the ugly when I go through a trial. And God is skimming it off my life. And he's not going to stop until he sees his reflection in me. Doesn't that make you want to consider it pure joy? I'm starting to look more like you, Lord. You're using this thing to form something in me. Notice it says when you encounter trials of many kinds, not if. Trials are inevitable. If you're here tonight and you're not in the midst of one, take really good notes because you're going to need them. So the question is not if we will have a trial. It's how will we respond when we do get one? I, I really like the scripture I think it's in, and it's in somewhere in my notes here. I think it's 1 Peter 4. I got to find it because it's just so good. I don't want to misquote it. 1 Peter 4, Lord, 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. Let me just look that up. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn over to that. 1 Peter 4, 12. I have a new Bible, and it is hard to turn these pages. Uh, 1 Peter is the, is the book right after James. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised at the painful trial that, that, that you are going through right now. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial that you're encountering. Why are we surprised when we go through hard times? Why are we surprised when life doesn't go our way? Because the Word of God says it's going to happen. The question is, how will we respond when it happens? He said, don't be surprised. Don't be taken off guard. And that word, in the, it is, it, it's in the present imperative negative tense. It's a command to stop continually being surprised by trials. And instead, consider them joy. Consider them pure joy. Notice that James doesn't coddle or offer pity to his friends who are encountering trials. He doesn't offer to pray for them or lay hands on them. He doesn't bind the devil. He, doesn't, he, he, he instead gives a command. He doesn't waste any time. He gets straight to the nitty-gritty. Consider it pure joy. Turn over to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. Oh, I love it. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, 
You have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. I love that. In this you greatly rejoice. Rejoice in your trials. Because it's, it's for a little while. It's a season. This thing is not going to last forever. This too will pass. I promise you it will pass. But look at that. For a little while, if need be. What do you mean if need be, Lord? Because I believe that some things in our life can't be formed any other way. That it takes a trial. It takes a tribulation. You say, Rhea, do you believe that God causes that? Here's what I, what I know is he allows it. If God, if God can't stop a trial in my life, he's not worthy of my worship. He's not, if he's not bigger than the things coming at me, then he's not worthy of my worship. He, he allows those things to, to form us, to mold us, to make us. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial that you're in. I want to read that um, verse 2 in James but in the Phillips translation, or it's in the Phillips paraphrase. It's a paraphrase, not a translation. But I really like it. It says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends, knowing that they are going to Form something in you that can't be formed any other way. Don't waste the pain. God is not going to waste the pain in your life. I, I, I want to just read this, this poem from Jill. Now, these are all conversations that she has with God. These are her prayers that she just wrote out in a book. And, and she was telling me today that she went through a really, really horrible, difficult time. And that's when she said to God uh, that he's standing in the corner of, our life, of, of her life with his hands in, her, in his pants. She said, do you ever feel like God is standing in the corner of your life with his hands in his pockets? Permitted pain is a problem for our faith sometimes, isn't it? And then she goes on and she has this conversation with God. And she's saying, you know, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like this pain. And aren't you going to do something about it? And, and it's her conversation with God uh, that's documented in this book. But in the midst of it, she writes this poem. She says, don't waste the pain. Let it prove you. Don't stop the tears. Let them cleanse you. Rest. Stop the striving. Soon you'll be arriving in my arms. Don't waste the pain. Let it drive you deeper into me. I'm waiting, and you should have come sooner. And what she's, what she's saying in that book is, is that our pain, it, the, Peter says that the, the genuineness of our faith is tested through trials. That he wants to prove us genuine. He wants to prove our faith. James, or you'll, you'll, you'll remember in Job, Satan came to, to, to God and, and, and God says, where have you been? And he said, I've been roaming the earth. And, and basically what he says there is, I'm looking for weaknesses and vulnerabilities. What have you been doing, Satan? I'm, 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 I'm roaming the earth, looking at your people, and I'm trying to find weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man of uprightness. I, 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 I'm sure he's a good one for you to consider. And, and Satan says, well, you know, if you, if you remove that hedge, he'll curse you, basically. And Job's faith was tested. 
and he came forth as gold. And Peter says, this is a testing of your faith. This trial is going to prove your faith genuine or not. I, I don't know about you. I want genuine faith. Anybody besides me want genuine faith. And I'm not going to waste the pain. I'm going to say, Lord, how do you want me to use this? What do you want me to do with this? I want, I want to come forth as gold. I want to be genuine. I want God to say, have you considered my servant, Rhea? Because I am so confident in her faith that she is not going to move. You, you load your, your guns and bring them at her, but she is not going to move. I trust her faith. I've proven it genuine. She believes in me. I so want that, don't you? Don't you want that? Some of you say, well, Rhea, I thought when I came to Christ that my life would be peachy keen, honky-dory. We really mislead people when we, when we talk to them about Jesus and, and salvation, and we, we make them think that their life is going to be perfect. And really, my life got harder. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Over and over in Scripture, we see God talk uh, about, you know, the Christian life being a, a race or uh, a war. He says, no soldier who enlists, you know, it's a battle. This is a battle. We are the army of God. We are at war and we are battling a real, a real enemy. Can I just tell you that? So don't be surprised when he comes at you, guns loaded. We act like it's a shock that we're being attacked and we forget that we are at war battling an enemy who's relentless. We are not battling flesh and blood. See, some of you are wasting your words because you're being led by your feelings, your emotions. And you're battling here with, with flesh and blood instead of on your knees through faith with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's where the battle is. And that's why we have to fight it spiritually. We can't fight it with our, with our feeling, with our emotions. Francis Chan says, I love this. He says, can you imagine a soldier at war running back to his commanding officer and crying, saying, they're shooting things at me. I mean, with real bullets. The commanding officer would just look at that soldier and say, what did you expect? What were you thinking when you joined the army? Did you think you would just come out here and everything would be nice and easy? No, we are at a war here. And Peter's saying the same thing. Don't be surprised. Be prepared for it. We are at a war. We're in a war with a real enemy. And so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Consider it pure joy because the testing of your faith is going to develop perseverance. That's fortitude. It's steadfastness. I want to be steadfast. I want to be steadfast. I want to look at that thing and say, I'm not moving. I'm persevering through it. The testing of my faith. Faith is like a muscle, is it not? Is Kendall here? Where's little Kendall? Kendall uh, is, is full of muscle. She's a dancer and, and her arms are just so, so muscular. And her legs are muscular, but her arms really are. And she started working out with a friend at school. And they started working muscle groups that she doesn't work in dance. <laughs> and she came home and she's like, Mama, I can't even go down the stairs. It hurts to go down the stairs. And, and, and I said, Kendall, that's because you're working muscle groups that you haven't worked dancing. And, and, and those muscles need to get built up. They need to get strengthened. And so it's going to hurt for a little while. And isn't that like us with faith? Faith has to be built. It has to be strengthened because it has to be used to do that. Kendall didn't get those muscles built by not using them. 
And we have to use our faith and build, build them like a muscle. My son Tyler is, uh, he's a police officer in Minnesota. And he is doing field training right now with some officers. And he is new. Uh, they hired three new officers. And Tyler is the only one without experience. All the other officers are transferring in from other departments. And so they all have had experience in a squad car with a gun in, in real life experiences. And Tyler is the only one that has not. And so he's a little nervous about it. And he called me the other day and he said, Mom, 75% of the officers that go through field training fail. And I said, well, you're not going to fail, Tyler. And he said, Mom, you don't understand. I don't have any experience here. These other two guys do, and they've already been tested already, and they have the advantage to me. And I said, Tyler, they're just trying to see what's in you. They want to see what's in you. Let them, let them test you. They're, they're, they're testing his, his, his range ability. He's, he's firing a handgun. He's firing rifles at the range. And, and, and they're, they're, they're testing him over and over. He's getting tased this week. And, and they, they test him because they want to see what's in him. Do you have what it takes to be a police officer, Tyler? Can I tell you that the testing of your faith is to prove you genuine, to see what's in you. I always say to Dave and Leslie, I don't want to go through this one again. I'm going to get this one right this time because I'm not going back this way again. I'm not going to experience If he can't form it in me this way, I'm not going to revisit this. So Lord, keep me in it till you form what you want to form. Test me. Find out what's in me and let it prove genuine. My question for you tonight is, do you believe that he's who he says he is? Do you believe that this book is full of his promises and they're yea and amen to those of us who do believe. Do you believe that everything he says about you is true in here? That everything he says about himself is true in here? That there isn't any situation that he is not Lord of? That there is nothing out of his control, out of his jurisdiction, so to speak? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then the next trial you come towards, you will not embrace it. And you will not run from it and, 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 and be all panicked and full of pain and heartache. You will instead say, Lord, this hurts. I don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to consider this thing pure joy. Because what are you forming in me that can't be formed any other way? And I cannot wait to come through this thing to just see what it is that you are building in me. What you're going to turn around and use for good that this old enemy, the one that I'm battling, the war that I'm in, that he meant for evil. What are you going to use for good, Lord? But it's a choice. It's a choice how we come through it. I want to read you one more thing, and I know that I'm not supposed to come down there, but I cannot do it. I've got to come down. But I want to re read you one more thing, because what I see, and Kelsey, can you just go up to, to uh, I just want you to play in a minute. What I see over and over is that people who go through trials, myself included, we have a choice what they form in us. Some of you have been through a trial, a stinky time in your life, a painful time in your life, and it's formed bitterness in you. I know that because I can see it on some of your faces. Some of you have been through a trial, and it's formed depression and despair in you. Some of you have been through a trial and it's formed jealousy and hatred in you. Some of you have been through a trial and it's formed insecurity and anger in you. Anger and rage in you. 
Something that happened way back here 30 years ago is still influencing your life today. A trial that you went through way back then is still influencing your life for the negative today. Because you didn't embrace it and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to form? I'm not going to be led by these feelings up here. I'm not going to be led by my emotions. I'm not going to have a pity party of one. I'm instead going to say, Lord, use this thing. Use it to form something in me that that you can't form any other way. I'm embracing the pain. I'm not going to waste it. I want to just read you this. A woman went to her mother and told her about life and how things were going so hard for her. She did not know how she was going to make it and wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting and struggling. Her mother took her to the kitchen. She filled three pots with water. In the first one, she placed carrots. and the second one, she placed eggs. And in the last one, she placed coffee, greens, coffee beans. She let them sit and boil without saying a word. In about 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She, finished the, she fished the carrots out and placed them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. Then she ladled out the coffee and placed it in a bowl. Turning to her daughter, she asked, tell me what you see. Her daughter laughed and said, carrots, eggs, and coffee. She brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did, and she noted they were soft and mushy. Then she asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hardened egg. Finally, she asked her to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled as she tasted its deep flavor and inhaled its rich aroma. The daughter then asked, what's the point, mother? Her mother explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water. But each one reacted differently. The carrot went in strong and hard and unrelenting. However, after being subjected to boiling water, it became weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior. But after sitting in the boiling water, its inside became hardened. The coffee grounds were unique, however. They were in the boiling water, and they instead changed the water and brought something beautiful and tasty from it. Can I just ask you, which one are you? When adversity and trials and tribulations knock at your door, are you a carrot? Are you an egg that gets hardened? Or are you a coffee bean? Are you the carrot that seems strong, but when pain and adversity come, you wilt and lose your strength? Are you the egg that starts with a malleable heart, but changes in the heat and becomes hardened? Do you have a fluid spirit, but after a death, a breakup, a financial hardship, or some other trial, become hardened and stiff? Does my shell look the same, but on the inside I'm bitter and tough? with a stiff spirit and a hardened heart? Or am I like the coffee bean? The bean actually changes the hot water, the very circumstances that bring the adversity, the pain, the hardship into something quite wonderful. When the water gets hot, it releases its fragrance and its flavor. 
If you are like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and change the situation around you. I asked Kelsey to go up to the the keyboard. I'd like her to just play um, healing, that healing song that you were singing. Yeah. Um, And and I want you to stand to your feet. Um, I, I can't preach a message like this without giving you an opportunity to be prayed for. I know that if I invite you up front, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And so I'm just going to pray for you as a group because I'm aware that most of us, if not all of us, have been through a trial that's formed something in us and it's not always good. And so tonight I want to pray for you that, that God brings a healing into your life. That that thing that hardened you, that that thing that, that, that seemed to ruin your life, that that thing that made you bitter and angry and full of despair and heartache, that God heals that thing tonight and that he gives you a new lens, a new lens to view it from. One that you can look at and say, Lord, you want to take this thing and turn it around and use it for your glory. I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm going to start being a victor in Christ Jesus. I'm going to start living in the overcoming power that you promised me. I'm going to start living by faith and not by my feelings. I'm going to start battling the right enemy, not flesh and blood. But the one I'm at war with, the one who's been conquered on Calvary, a defeated foe. And I'm going to start snatching back the victory. And so, Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you know them by name. You know their pain, Lord God. You know what they encountered. You know what they lived through. Oh, the Lord, they're survivors, Lord. They're survivors in the house. They survived, Lord. They lived through it but it's changed them. So Lord, I thank you that healing is here. I'm asking, Father God, that that you who formed them, who knit them together in their mother's womb, who know them by name, Lord God, you know everything about them. I pray, Father, that tonight Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, their healer, would touch them deeply, Lord. Soften what's become hard. Heal, Lord God. You came to bind up the brokenhearted, to mend, Lord, one stitch at a time. I pray for every broken heart in this room. Those who have lived through trials and tribulations that that have just wounded them and broken them, Lord God, I pray right now, Jehovah Rapha, that you would just touch them and bring healing. Mend, Lord, mend those broken hearts. Lord God, I pray for memories to be healed in Jesus' name. Memories of the trial, memories of the the, the tribulation, memories of the heartache and the pain. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that healing is here. I pray for minds to be made new. The lies that they believed as truth, Lord God, that tonight they'd be silenced in the name of Jesus. And that your truth, Lord God, would, would renew that mind. That they would realize who they are in you. That that thing did not define them. That that situation did not destroy them. 
Lord God, that they are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord God, you're raising up an army. You're digging them out of the ashes, Lord God. You're putting their feet back on solid ground. Lord, I pray for those specifically who are going through a a, a physical trial, a sickness or an illness, an infirmity. Lord God, we just thank you that every spirit of infirmity is bound in the name of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus over them. The mighty name of Jesus. The mighty name of Jesus. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord their healer. The Balm and Gilead, the great physician. By your stripes, Lord God, they are healed. I believe it. I believe it with every ounce of my being. I believe it. You are who you say you are. And you do what you say you can do. And so, Lord God, I pray healing. Healing, Lord. Lord, those who have been tormented. 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 Maybe by thoughts. By anxiety. By fear. By unbelief. I pray right now, Lord, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would guard their hearts and their minds would garrison their minds with peace soldiers, Lord God. And I pray for ridiculous peace, absolutely ridiculous peace and joy to come upon them, Lord God. That's how you work. Immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. I pray, Lord, that you just douse them with joy that's unspeakable and peace that passes all understanding. I pray for the hardened and the bitter. Oh, Lord God, I hear that. I hear you. I pray for those who are bitter, Lord God, who have swallowed that bitter pill who have built such unforgiveness and hatred in their hearts, Lord God, that they've become hardened and embittered by it. Lord God, today, today is the day of deliverance. Healing is here. If that's you tonight and you're holding on to unforgiveness and someone did you dirty and you just can't let it go, if you've had a lifetime of pain and heartache and you are bitter and angry because of it, maybe even angry with God, Lord, I pray that tonight they'd release it to you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you are trustworthy and true. Thank you that you are faithful. And I pray, Lord God, that you would lift off a spirit of heaviness and that you would replace it with a garment of praise. And I thank you, Lord, that healing is here. It's here, Lord. Healing is here. I believe it, Lord. I believe it. The healing is here. Healing is here. Healing is here. Just receive it. Don't let your doubt and unbelief stop it. Receive it.
happened, whatever we have encountered, Lord, we are going to, by an act of faith, believe that it is forming something in us that can't be formed any other way. And Lord, we choose. We choose. We've got to choose, church. We choose joy. We choose a firm confidence in you, Lord God. We choose it. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. I choose, Lord. To believe that this thing, this thing, Lord God, that I've encountered in my life, as painful as it is, Lord God, that you are using it to cultivate something in me that couldn't be cultivated any other way. And I'm going to embrace it, Lord. And I'm going to count it all joy. I'm tallying up the facts, Lord. And the facts say that we win. <laughs> we win. Healing is here. Healing is here. Healing is here. Healing is here. Yes, and freedom is here, Lord. Freedom is here. Freedom is here. And we receive it. We receive it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. but I just have to be faithful. I heard him say financial. There is a financial trial, financial tribulation that you're going through. Somebody here is going through a financial tribulation and you've lost faith. You think it's too far even for God. And maybe you think you've been careless. You, you haven't done the right thing. You haven't been faithful to him, but I'm so thankful that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. That thing is not too big for God. And I really just feel like he's saying to surrender it to him tonight, to release it to him tonight, to consider it pure joy. And ask him, ask him to redeem that thing. Doesn't mean he's going to bail you out. But I sense there's a freedom that he wants to give there. Maybe it's been dogging you for quite some time. And so, Lord, I want to pray for that right now. 
Maybe they're in over their head, Lord God, and they can't get out. Maybe they don't know where the next meal is going to come from or where provision is going to come from. Maybe they don't have a roof over their head, but Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that you know their needs and that those who call upon the Lord, those who call upon the Lord, those who put their hope in you, will not be disappointed, Lord. They're calling. And I pray, Lord God, for downfall. For a downpour. A downpour, Lord. A downpour. Oh, I thank you that you are the God of the impossible. God of the impossible. Your Abba Father, our Daddy. Good daddies take care of their children. Lord, I pray they crawl up in your lap tonight and that they would just sense the comfort of the Father's arms. And Lord, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you, Lord. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you'll do. And Lord, we stand on your word immovable. We run to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we trust, Lord God, we trust. We trust that you who began a good work will be faithful, will be faithful to complete it in Jesus' name.